Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you go to get your podcasts. You can also find more about our work at johnwarrenmedia.com. Feel free to contact me there using our contact tab. You can also send an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, we have arrived at Romans 12, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of scripture, in my opinion, you have, if you've been around the church for any period of time, even perhaps if you haven't, you might have heard some version of the first couple of verses of this chapter. It starts out, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, is the way the English Standard Version has it. And I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about all the ways we misunderstand this section, but I, like we always do, we're going to survey this chapter today, and we're going to talk about what it what it really does say, and and maybe a little bit about what it doesn't say say in terms of uh, unhelpful teaching that we might have heard over over the years. I definitely heard some well intended, not so great teaching. I often when I talk to my students at Circle Christian School, those folks I brag so much about, those brilliant 11th and 12th graders. I often talk to them about this verse, these two verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I I call them the summer camp, the Christian camp verses. And I don't do that to mock those verses. They are, they are beautiful, but I, I have heard so many sermons that, you know, are, are lessons, Bible lessons or motivational talks or whatever you want to call them in kind of a crimp, uh, Christian campish setting or youth group setting where you go throw a log on the fire and, and, and you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with some of those devices from time to time if we're careful with them, careful to be biblical about how we do this. But these verses say so much more and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. So by way of quick review, it's important when Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, it's beseech, it's beg, it's this word appeal, it's I urge you, I compel you, it, it's all of that, it, it appeal to you, it, 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 therefore, it, we, we have to, you know, he's really saying, and I, I don't want to be um, too loose with this, but, but he's really saying, because of this, people, I urge you, I compel you, I, I, I want your attention here. I, there's something you should do here that's coming. And so I think we have to pay attention to this transition. And I've, I've talked to a lot of theologians, pastors, uh, read a lot of commentaries on Paul's use of strategic language throughout the book of Romans. And, and I know I've talked about that a lot over these past many weeks that we've been surveying this book, this epistle of Paul to the church at Rome. And I don't want to take license here but there are those, and, and they are many, uh, who believe that when Paul does this, he's actually referencing, he says, because of all of this in this letter, I want you to do this. And so, so this therefore is, 
is not just a reference to the last thought in chapter 11, but it is to the entire gospel, all of justification by faith, all of who man is, all of who God is, everything Paul has talked about to this point, including his use of judicial language throughout this book, strategic language that we've talked about, including the beauty of chapter three, where he really talks very specifically and thoroughly about our justification by faith. But what we do know is Paul didn't have chapter breaks in his, in his letter to the church at Rome. So we know that it's not a stretch to assume that he's at least at a minimum, we can agree talking about the last few thoughts in chapter 11 in as he as he transitions in in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 so here's what those thoughts are and i you know i don't want to overstate this but these few verses i think it's four verses at the end uh, five verses maybe at the end of chapter 11 are life changing uh, it is four verses by the way Uh, Starting in verse 33, he says, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So he's talking about who God is. And I know we talked about this last time, but just think about this. And then he says, How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We, We don't get to know everything and we don't get to critique God. And that is crystal clear from all of Scripture, and Paul is shouting it here. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. We're talking about who God is. He's bigger than us. He is transcendent. He's also imminent. He's with us. And those things, there's some tension there. Uh, He's apart from us. He's holy. He's separate from us but he also loves us and is relational with us. And we believe we can't explain all of that thoroughly, but we believe it to be true because how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We don't get to say, man doesn't get to say, period. God is not just. We we are not qualified to make that statement. And I know people who listen to this podcast, some some of you are going to disagree with me. Some of the people in my life day to day disagree with me on this. Well, he made us in his image. We think like him. We're, some, some people think we're way more like God than we are. We're way more equal to him than we are. He is transcendent. He, he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, all loving, all those things. And And his ways, his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are inscrutable. And then he goes on in verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He doesn't go to us for advice. He doesn't go to anyone, even the great saints throughout history. And we could name a lot of them, even biblical characters like Solomon. What a sad end to his life or David, or Paul himself, or anyone else you can think of. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? And if you'll remember, weeks ago I said, I read about a theologian who said, 
if you can imagine a God bigger than the God you imagine, you're not imagining the true God of this universe. He is above everything. We, we should have a high, high, high view of God, period. Verse 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You get the idea. Then verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He is everything. Period. Period. <laughs> I, I mean, it, that that Paul has a high view. If you struggle with your view of God and you say, well, why did God do this? And how do you allow that? And that seems unfair. Go read Romans eleven thirty three through 36. All right. So he said all that. High, high view of God. He's describing God relative to man, if you notice. So he's he's this juxtaposition is beautiful because he's he's really saying who are you man who do you think you are compared to God he does it in a very tactful strategic way and then he says in verse 12 I appeal to you therefore so because of this I beg you urge you beseech you appeal to you brothers M- meaning no, that's not really I, I don't believe a gender specific reference Hey, people, I appeal to you because of this. By the mercies of God, you know the difference between God's grace and mercy. We already know that. His his mercy, in his mercy, he withholds punishment, Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation, no, no penal phase of the trial. So by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, he's talking here, and, and read this for yourself, research the Greek words yourself, go to blueletterbible.org or some other gateway, Bible gateway, I think it's called, there are some others, where you can search in Vine's Dictionary and other resources, you can, you can research, with or without a seminary degree, you can research the Greek words, and you can see where it's used in Strong's and other places, you can see where it's used throughout scripture by using Strong's as a resource to present your bodies. He's, t- he's talking about your whole person. Now, I've heard so many lessons on sexual purity from, from this verse, these two verses. And, and sexual purity is advocated strongly in scripture. I don't want to diminish the importance of sexual purity. But Paul here is talking about so much more than just that. We'll include that in presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. With respect to all those teachers I heard all those years at Christian camps and youth group and all the rest, Paul is talking about something much bigger. He's talking about the whole person as a living sacrifice. Now that's, that's terminology that both the Jews and Gentiles at the Church of Rome could, could not grasp it's it's uh it, it you know you think of your favorite oxymoron it would feel like that to them they they didn't know any sacrifices that were living the pagan gentiles in rome sacrificed to pagan gods we caricature the true living god into a pagan god often don't we 
And the Jews clearly understood the sacrificial system under the law. All those, all of those sacrifices, every imaginable sacrifice, I cannot think of an exception, would be dead. Everyone in their entire frame of reference as they read this letter. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice would make them have one of those uh, moments. A living sacrifice, holy, set apart, that is, and acceptable, that, that is, meeting God's righteous standard to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I've never liked that phrase, your spiritual worship, the translation of that phrase. And I've researched it as best I can. And I hope I'm not going too far with this. My my friends who are Greek scholars, like Bill Stroop and others who will hear this, Charlie Parrish and others, you can set me straight if I need to be. But I, I think it has the idea of it's, it's, just your, it's just reasonable for you to do, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says in verse two, and this is, I think, the key to the sentiment that Paul is expressing here. Do not be conformed to this world. Now think about that for a second. He's talking about a pattern. He's, if, you've, if you know anybody who sews, and, and I, I know that's, a, that's kind of a lost art nowadays. I, I, I do know some people who do, including my wife. Uh, she doesn't do it regularly, but she can repair things quite easily. But if you've ever seen somebody sew something from the original, you know, from, from uh, de novo, from, from nothing, they use a pattern and it's this, it's this tissue paper kind of thing. And somehow they, they get the right size and they, and they cut material and, and they sew it all together. And, and similarly, you, you've probably seen uh, architectural plans. I find them fascinating. I have a set of them for our home that the seller of our home. We didn't buy our home from the builder. We, we were the second owners of this home. And thankfully, they left a set of plans. And if you've ever seen a set of plans, or if you do something professionally that requires you to be familiar with construction plans, you know that there's a page for the electrical, there's a page for plumbing, there's, there are various pages for showing the roof lines, and, and then just kind of the nuts and bolts of the construction and, and all kinds of things, all the angles, all the doors, all the all the property line and the 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 where everything is situated on the lot and and then and then there's even a, a graphic representation of the elevation from the street and the back and the sides and, and and these these plans are incredibly thorough. Well, Paul's talking here about um, about this being conformed to the pattern of of the world and 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 I I think of it in those terms a sewing pattern or architectural plans, but. But what Paul's talking about here goes beyond that, and, and it's the philosophical pattern. It's the way of thinking of the world. Now, I, I grew up as a, 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 we didn't call it STEM back then, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, uh, but, but I grew up focused, locked on to science and math, primarily math. And I thought I was going to be an engineer when I went off to college and learned very quickly that first semester that I had no interest whatsoever in being an engineer. And so there, there's this, uh, just, just, just to say it, there's this, this need for us to understand philosophy. And I would have thought of it as foreign. I really thought that those, those students who study social disciplines or, uh, or the arts or, 
or whatever, that they, they're kind of missing the point with rigor. And I didn't really learn how to think. I didn't learn about philosophy. I didn't learn about epistemology. I, I didn't learn about how we know what we know until much later. But Paul is talking about the, the world's pattern of thinking. Do not be conformed to the world's pattern of thinking. And, and, and he's not just talking about thinking. He's talking about behavior. But, but thinking begets behavior. And Paul's already talked about that in this, in this letter. So, so he's talking about the world's pattern of thinking and behavior, the pattern of the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Now, what I always tell my students, and, and I, I don't think I'm reading into this text when I say this, is he's saying something, and I'm going to prove it to you in a second when we read the rest of verse two. He's saying something much more powerfully than wake up every day and have a checklist and live by that checklist and suck it up and do better. If you've ever tried, if you tend to be overweight, I'll just say it, and if if you've ever tried to diet and you've said, I'm going to suck it up and do better, you know that's hard to do. If you've ever had any kind of New Year's resolution, uh, my goodness, uh, you you know how difficult that is. Health clubs are built on the notion that we're all going to go join them and then not show up. Because if everybody showed up at most of them, they'd just be too crowded, wouldn't they? But we don't. We have good intentions and we don't. Now, I know some people who maybe have a military background or they're just naturally very disciplined and, and they, they live by checklist. I, I, I could be one of those people, maybe a little. I, I have a, a notepad on my desk and I, I jot down the things I want to do that day and I check them off as I accomplish them like a nerd, like a dork. Anyway, I'd, I think Paul's talking about something much bigger than that. So don't be conformed to this world this world's way of thinking, the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Now listen to this, that word transformed, and I'm certain of this. It's, it's the word that we could translate metamorphosis. So, so be radically transformed, radically changed in, in, into something completely different by the renewal of your mind. That word renewal has the idea of refurbishment, of of being renovated. The renewal of your mind, the the refurbishment, the renovation of your mind. I think of those HGTV shows. I used to enjoy, I can't think of his name now, the guy from Canada who goes in and uh, Holmes is his last name, I think. And he, he goes in and he changes things and fixes construction problems. And then there's the property brothers and then Chip and Joanna Gaines and all the rest. Shouldn't be hard for us to understand this, this renewal of your mind. It's a, it's a renovation. It's a, it's a, it's a thorough renovation, a stripping it down to the studs kind of a a renovation of your mind that by testing or trials, the, the trials of life, you may discern and that word is clear, what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So let's just go back. What Paul has said is, what he's saying here is, the renewal of your mind, this refurbishment of your mind is critical. 
this transformation, this metamorphosis that happens, metamorphosis that happens, happens because of the renewal of our minds. Our, our minds, our, our knowing, our way of knowing, this is very consistent with what he said in chapter six about not knowing, this word Gnostic. And we, when we say not knowing, we, we, that's, that's, we get the word agnostic from that Greek word, that combination of Greek words. So, so knowing is important. This renewal of our minds that happens. It's, it's this radical changing the way we think, thereby changing the way we act. It's, it's not if the world zigs, we zag. That is, that is weak theology that will fall apart. If you say, I, I, me and my children are just not going to be like the world. So if the world likes X, no matter what X is, we're not doing it. We do the opposite. I, I grew up learning that from people. I grew up learning that some things that aren't so bad are bad. And, and I missed as a result, and this is on me, not on all those teachers, but I missed the fact that there's beautiful truth under there that Paul's actually talking about here. He's not saying be unlike the world. I, I heard a lecturer one time go through all the popular rock music of the time, and I'm not advocating for every popular song that's ever been written by any means, but, but it's not intrinsically bad because it's, because it's secular music. So anyway, I'm going to leave that for now. This renewal of your mind is key to this transformation that Paul is talking about, this ability to present our entire selves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is just reasonable for you to do. And if you think about it, then what Paul is talking about is worldview here. He's, he's, it informs our actions. I'm not, I'm not letting us off the hook. I'm not saying the book of James isn't in the Bible or first John isn't there. Our works are important for sure. But we start with changing our minds radically, this metamorphosis, this transformation into a new creature. And, and we talk about dying to self. We, we talk about a lot of concepts from, from these two verses. But I, I hope those thoughts are helpful as we, as we kind of push off the dock and, and go through the part of Romans 12 that is frankly a little less popular, a little more ignored. I think, I think the rest of Romans 12 tells us how to live the Christian life, but so it's important to get that foundation. Our minds must be renewed by the truth of God's word for us to be able to discern the will of God. I've talked on this podcast before about how critical it is for us to understand that we don't have to read a self-help book and almost participate in pagan rituals, according to some writers, to ascertain the will of God. We don't have to, when we reach a fork in the road, we, we, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to feel tension. It's okay to not know, do I go to this school or do I go to that school? I see students do this all the time. Do I choose this career? Or do I choose that career? Do I choose this spouse or do I wait? You know, I, I understand all of the difficult decisions that we make, but Paul is saying something else. He's picture it as on a higher plane than those decisions, if you will. And, and what he's saying is, we can, you may, he says it, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Now, we run from trials and testing. 
I don't know anybody who likes, he says, you know what, give me another test. Well, I mean, an actual test in school even, or, or, a, or a trial in, in life. I, I do not want to ever have stage three colon cancer or any kind of cancer again. That was a trial. I've had some other trials. One over the last couple of years that has been really challenging, very challenging, involved legal issues, all kinds of issues. I, I don't want that anymore. I, I don't like those things. I, I don't want any conflict. I want harmonious living. I bet you do too. And Paul's not saying go look for conflict, but he's saying that God uses testing. He uses trials in our lives of all kinds. Just, just the difficulty of being on this fallen earth, he uses really for his glory to give us the ability to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Isn't he talking about glorifying God? So if, you, if we want to live our lives glorifying God, this is what we do. We participate actively in not being conformed to the world's ways of thinking and acting, but being transformed, going through metamorphosis by the renewal or refurbishment or renovation, another good word, good synonym of our minds. All right, so how do we do that? How do we live life? How are we then to, yeah, I hate this expression, but I know a lot of people like it and say it. How do we do life together? Well, let's look at verse three. And I don't hate that expression. That's too strong, but I'm not crazy about it. We don't do life, we live life. But anyway, verse three for, so again, building on the argument, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. What, what is that? that? That's humility, isn't it? Paul's just saying, be humble. Most of us think more highly of ourselves than people around us think. And I know this is sobering to think about, and I sound incredibly negative, but you're not as charming and I'm not as charming as we think we are. We have flaws and issues and offenses that people don't tell us about, even people who care about us because they don't want to hurt us or they don't want to be that person that's kind of a nag or sort of a Debbie Downer. And Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Remember back in, in chapter 9, he saw Jacob I loved, he saw I hated, this preferring one over another. God, God doesn't assign everyone to, to, to be the conductor on the train. Some of us are coal shovelers on the train. Some of us are switching uh, track switchers. Some clean the train. Everybody is needed, and he's going to go on to point that out. For as in one body, we have many members, we have various parts of our bodies, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There's a lot we could say there, but we're going to just go right through this because we want to get to this, this notion of gifts coming up. So the body functions together. And, and it's very important, and I, I'm going to say this, and, and then I'm going to turn around and ignore 
this, my, my own teaching here. What Paul is saying is the person who stacks the chairs in the church, it serves an important function. And, and we need to be humble about our gifts because the person who teaches and preaches and, 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 and preachers are called and they're different and I get that. But, but no matter what your office is, no matter what your position is, and I think this applies secularly as well, we are to be humble. That doesn't mean we say hola to the Hispanic person who takes the trash out. I'm not suggesting that the person who takes the trash out is always Hispanic, but I love seeing white business people think they're so engaging, so supportive by acknowledging that person. Well, that, that is important, but we need to do more than hello. That recognizing that that person and, and, and all functions, all functions in all aspects of our lives are important. They all come together. The lesson Paul is teaching is that they all come together in the body. The members are different. The heart's not more important than the lungs. The arms aren't more important than the legs. They all serve a function, and God has assigned us to those functions. If you have felt like all your life, I'm really good at these things, and I'm not very good at those things, sometimes that's we have this limiting self-talk that we do. But at other times, we're just recognizing God has gifted us differently. I, I know... My wife and I took years to learn. We were married at a young age in our early 20s, and we, it took us years to learn our strengths and weaknesses. That doesn't mean that we haven't made some of our weaknesses stronger, that we haven't improved. You can, you can do that. You don't need to, you don't need to take a, 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 some sort of assessment and, and conclude, oh, I'm, I'm pigeonholed here forever. But you do have some tendencies, and, you, and Paul is just confirming that, yes, we have, God has gifted us Uh, certain ways. So here's what he says. Having gifts that differ, I'm in verse six now of chapter 12. According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You know, you don't want me in charge of your wedding reception. You don't necessarily want me to be the welcomer at church, although I could probably do that. You don't want me to be the one who's the fashion coordinator for an event or who decorates the tables. You don't want to commission me to do artwork I am not gifted in those areas. And you're probably thinking of things that you are gifted at. It is, it is an amazing person to me who has those types of artistic gifts. So Paul is just saying, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So these are God-given gifts. And he's saying, let's use them. Let's all use them together. Let's humbly approach this and all use our gifts together. Boy, if we could do that, wouldn't doing life, wouldn't being part of a church, wouldn't being part of organizations, wouldn't being part of social groups, wouldn't just living the Christian life be so much better? Why in the world don't we read the rest of this chapter and apply these truths? Why do we just quote chapter 12, verses 1 and 2?
All right, it gets better. Or equally good, I should say. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. He's just giving real practical advice to the true Christian, isn't he? This is awesome. Let love be genuine. We must need to know this. We must need to do this. This is this does not happen naturally. What happens naturally? We sin and hate each other and fight. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate. Hate, aggressively hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. If you do want to have a to-do list, write at the top of it every day this verse, these verses. Let love be genuine, hate evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Have a contest to see who can outdo each other showing honor. Write all of that at the top of your to-do list. Put that on the calendar. That's what I should do every day. I can say that I want to glorify God, but if I don't do these things, I'm not glorifying him. That's what Paul is teaching here. Do not be slothful in zeal, verse 11. Be fervent in spirit. Man, we penalize zealousness in this country, don't we? Oh, you're a geek. You're a nerd. Why are you so enthusiastic? Do not be slothful. Don't be lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Pray all the time. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Not if, you, if you're gifted at this, and some people are, but do it, he says. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We block needs in our churches, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, out of our mind. It's somebody else's problem. Oh, they must have been irresponsible. Paul didn't say, be constant in prayer, contrib- contribute to the needs of the saints if they haven't made any mistakes. No, we are to be generous, live generous lives, showing hospitality to everyone, especially those in need. That's what Paul's teaching here. Contribute to the needs of the saints. If, if you're bored, if your kids are bored, your students are bored, and you don't know what to do, go find something. You won't have to look far at all. You know, we were, we were driving to Lowe's yesterday. I wasn't going to mention this, but it just popped into my head. And there was, there was a line of traffic. You know how you have your favorite Lowe's? Well, our, our favorite one isn't the one closest to us, but it's not very much further in the other direction, the one that is our favorite. And it's just because there are a bunch of good people who work there who can find things for you and solve problems and tolerate my ineptitude. And so we're driving to the one we like. And, and there, there, there are all these cars are lined up and it's a two lane, four lane road and, and two lanes going one direction and one lane just blocked and there's a police car up ahead. And my wife said, what in the world is this? And I'm like, I don't know. And, and the left lane was kind of moving. So we got in the left lane, thankfully. And, and when we, when we got to, to the, the source where the police car was, there was a turn into a state park and it said free food today. I, I've just blown away. That, and I, I, uh, we both just were teary and said, those are people in need in this crazy economy. It, it leaves the middle class, the lower middle class behind. They probably don't qualify for a lot of aid programs, and yet they're having needs because of the expenses associated with, you know, eight or 10 or I think more like 15% inflation. 
And and so on the way home, we took the same route around the other side of the road. And my goodness, the line w- went on for miles. And 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 so I, I I say that just to say there are needs all around us. Do not fall for the lie that all Americans are prosperous. And, and and we don't just have financial needs; we have physical needs. When I was in the hospital, eighteen years ago, to have a section of my colon removed because it was full of cancer, there were people down the hall because I had to walk a lot after surgery. If you have abdominal surgery, one of the things you do to recover is get up the first day and you barely walk to your hospital room door. And then, then you eventually go a few more feet and a few more feet. Next thing you know, you're walking laps in the hall a few days later. And I noticed there were people who never had a visitor and I'm kind of allergic to a lot of animals and plants. And so when people generously gave lots of flowers to me and I would, I would give them to, to other patients who, who didn't have any flowers or didn't have anybody who ever visited them. So this isn't hard to accomplish. This is just a matter of focus is all I'm saying there. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Now, here we go. Bless those who, are, are you kidding? I don't have to. They, they harm me. They're evil. Why do I bless? Am I rewarding evil? No, but bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. See, this renewing of our minds changes us. We don't tend to rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, we might pretend to, oh, congratulations. And, but what we're thinking is, why'd that happen to you and not me? Or I'm better at this than you are and you get rewarded and noticed. Or why do you get all the accolades? No, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What do we call that? Empathy. Weep with those who weep. When, when you see a person and I see a person weeping, we should weep along with them. It should prompt us to, to, for something to well up inside of us and, and we should be able to feel their pain. Live in harmony with one another. And this, is, this is something we have to work at, but it starts with the renewal of our minds. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Some of us are afraid to do that. Associate with that person who's kind of a loner. Go, go be like that Florida State football player a couple of years ago who went and sat with the kid who had nobody sitting with him. Associate with the lowly. Find the lowly and associate with them. And don't be arrogant when you do. Never be wise in your own sight. See, we're back to read verses 33 through 36 of chapter 11 again and again and again. Understand who God is and who man is, and you won't have a, we won't have a problem with this. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Boy, when somebody wrongs me, I want to get back at them. I, I, I just somehow, I want to at least let them know. You did wrong. That's, that's not what Paul says here. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. What an impossible standard he's painting here in chapter 12 of Romans. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. Now, sometimes it's not possible, but to the extent that it is, find peace. So you blow it. Go recover. <laughs> so you, you do like I do sometimes, and you say something that was inartful. Go tell them you love them, and you're sorry. And, and don't, don't send a text. If it's a big deal, if it's an emotional topic, go sit down with them. And I know about the COVID protocols and everything else we still have going on. And I know some people are afraid and some people don't like face-to-face contact anyway. And if there's conflict, oh my goodness, what if they, what if it escalated? And no, just, I mean, if you can, and if you can't do that, do it by phone. So you can hear the inflection in your voice and you can, you can have a give and take. Live peaceably. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, you will encounter, we will encounter situations where it's not possible, right? But, but when possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Then he says in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I, I know the tendency, because I have it, to want to get even. I was taught as a kid that you do get even. Somebody smacks you, you smack them back. I'm talking as a young kid. Paul's saying, don't do that. Vengeance is his. You don't need to run around getting even with people. In fact, if you go settle scores, if you're a score settler, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to feel defeated. You're going to even settle scores that didn't need to be settled. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Give him your tunic too, to use the words of Jesus. The man takes your cloak. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, <laughs> I, I really like that, that verse. Paul, Paul's appealing to our humanity. Paul is very human in this letter at several points, and this is one of them. I know you want to get even. I get that. But do this. Give him something to drink. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is your enemy now. This isn't your friend. Because you'll heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is counterintuitive teaching, isn't it? It is, it is not the American way. It, there, there are people in business working in Fortune 500 companies and other companies, publicly traded companies, private companies, people involved in sports teams of all kinds, people involved in all kinds of clubs and schools and all aspects of life who would say, wow, if we lived like this, we'd be a bunch of wimps. No, no, we, 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 if we live like this, we overcome evil. Paul makes it clear. And if we don't, we get overcome by evil. Even the things we think about, if you think about it, if you obsess about people who've wronged you, and we all know people who do this. I've done it. We've all done it. It's just a negative, horrible way to live. Paul is talking in Romans 12 about how we live with the world and how we live in Christian community. And, and, and this, I hope you, the beauty of this chapter 
hasn't been lost with my stumbling and fumbling. This is the roadmap for life. So I hope this has been helpful. Please read Romans 12, read it again and again. Thank you for your support of Relentless Truth, for listening week after week. Your encouraging notes are such an encouragement. I received one just yesterday from a dear pastor friend. Thank you for those those very kind uh, comments. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to johnwarrenmedia.com to find out how to contact me through the contact page there, or you can send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Next week, we'll be in Romans 13. This is exciting. We're going to talk about the government. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.